Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris, presented by Boot Crew Media. Rob, what it do? Man, I'm just having some memories over here. Some Mardi Gras past, and it's so sad and so depressing. Hopefully, we will be back in 2022 like we never left. Happy Mardi Gras, y'all. Listen, the mayor, Mayor Cantrell, had to shut the shit down because it was a super spreader last year. She probably saved some people because it was 28, 26 <laughs> degrees yesterday. Ain't no way in the world I'd have been out there. So... <laughs> Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy because, uh, you know, I'd have been out there bundled up <laughs> as, as most people would have been <laughs> would have, probably with a, with a little brown in a, in a flask around my neck. You know, like, uh, our boys, Brandon Field, dad, Mr. Alvin, rest in peace. That's exactly who I was thinking of when I said that. <laughs> he used to wear that, that flask like it was yeah. a new image chain. <laughs> right. That crown crown and jacket. He called it crap. Exactly. That's exactly who I was thinking of. That shit'll keep you on for sure. So many times I ran into him just <laughs> you know, me and my friend used to just walk. We would walk from somewhere around probably I, I was standing over there by the Soleil. We would walk from somewhere around uh there to to under the bridge and we always encountered him somewhere on uh St. Charles. Listen, bro, Mr. Alvin turned into a 15 year old teenager on one Good times. Always, always, man. But look, let's jump into it. We got a, a special guest for y'all, Sammy Spinner. Uh, NFL agent, so you'll you'll get I that. Believe it, I believe it's in. Spina. You just Spina, out here murdering this man's name over and over. Excellent <laughs> <and> <laughs> man, help me out. Uh, but, uh, but check it out. We had a good interview with him. We'll play it on the back end for y'all as, as we roll out on our winners and losers. But uh, let's jump into a few topics before we get out of here. First off, NBA All Star Game uh, typically happens around this time, right? Like around Valentine's Day or something. Uh, but you know, due to the shortened season, the pandemic, the, the, you know, the the late start, the uh, at, at first they weren't going to have it, but looked like the, they decided the NFL, NBA Players Association, NBA have, have uh, agreed to a NBA All Star Game March fifth through tenth. So a lot of players have spoken out: LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, um, and they're unhappy about it. What's, what's your thoughts on it? Listen, man, the the reason they're playing basketball right now is to make money. The reason they're playing an All Star Game is to make money. At a certain point, you know, you can't – I got a job, and I'm happy about the fact that my paycheck is still coming in. So there's a, there's a very limited amount of complaining I'm going to do when my job asks me to do certain things, and that's the way I feel about them. Y'all are playing. You're getting a check. Just go do the All-Star game. Be safe. I get the, you know, the idea of the amount of games played and, um, you know, the COVID issues with travel, but it's, it's a job, man. Like every now and then when you got a job, there's some things that you don't – uh, necessarily want to do that you that you that you got to do. I personally think that a lot of these guys just want that break. Right. You know, I don't think it's necessarily about the COVID related issues because I don't see how this presents such a unique COVID issue uh, that differentiates itself from the games that they play on a nightly basis. Right. I was going to say that's their biggest issue is like all these athletes from different teams going to be in one building at the same time. But how is that different from the Pelicans playing the Grizzlies last night? Right. So. I'm with you. I don't think that's a huge issue. I think they wanted a break. But listen, they, they got a full month break last year between the last game uh, when the right. pandemic ended in March right. until the summertime. And the NBA was at the forefront of creating the, the you know, the, the safest uh, and strictest protocol possible to keep all the athletes safe. So, I mean, when you talk about Adam Silver, he's he's often referred to as the, the, the most innovative, the, the best commissioner of all the major sports. 
And so part, like you said, part of it is just like you got to make money and you got to stay, you know, in the fans' eyes and, and relevant. And so I think the All-Star game is part of that. So, you know, I, I don't have much sympathy for him. I think you got to show up. And um, nobody and nobody complains when it's a big party, right? right. And, and now that the party aspect is taking away no fans, uh, you know, no longer. I think last year I remember seeing Kyrie Irving down here on Miami Beach walking around mm-hmm. with his girlfriend. Right. Um, and so nobody complained when they got to get all of that in. Right. When some players were there in the city, but it was limited work and there was a lot of parties and a lot of stuff to do. And then the other guys got to travel either, you know, locally or internationally. And and now that it's not going to be fun and it's just a job requirement, you've seen a lot of these complaints. I think they got to suck it up and play the game. Yeah. I mean, one person who can't who better not complain is James Hart. That nigga been everywhere. (laughs) He he better not be complaining. Only complaint he going to have is he can't go to the uh, gold club. (laughs) <laughs> right. but uh we'll see what happens i'm actually looking forward to it just you know something to watch relevant in nba uh nfl news the texans staying in the headlines right uh they just Wait, released- but before we moved on i didn't know I, I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on your boy uh draymond green's uh comments on uh, you know, this idea of Andre Drummond and other players being sat before they're traded and, you know, the, what responsibility the teams bear for how they treat uh, – Blake Griffin's the other one – how teams, yeah. teams treat players before they, they move them. Yeah, I don't have much to say about it. I don't really understand the, the argument. I mean, I, I get like Harden got criticized because he wants out. When players want out, then it's a big deal. They still got to play. But as a team, if I'm looking to trade you, you're as an asset – if I put you out on the court, I'm risking injury. And once, if you get injured, I'm liable to pay you, and, and then you're no longer uh, valuable in a trade. So I, I don't think there's much. He seemed to cut against his point by acknowledging that James Harden was dogging it and that James Harden <laughs> gained weight. And I think that some would acknowledge that, that Anthony Davis didn't handle his situation the best. So when you're saying that, like, people essentially didn't do their job properly – um, in order to, to force the organization to do something, I think that's kind of easily distinguishable against the organization doing something that's within the lines of what the contract allows them to do, trade you, right? right. And and the asking you not to play isn't a sign of disrespect. I think Jalen Rose pointed this out. He's like, I was traded a ton of times. He was like, you mean to tell me that I get to save some rest on my legs for the next team that I'm going to go to? I might be able to make a playoff run. I'm not mad about that. So I feel like it was just an opportunity for Draymond Green to get the player perspective out there um, and and try to curry favor with the fans. But I think it was kind of false equivalence, personally. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I'm all with the players doing right. what they need to do for their what's best for their lives. But I don't think that this argument he made – you know, as a lawyer, I'm like, nah, bro. If right. I'm a judge, I'm eating up that hypothetical <laughs> because them two things ain't the same. Right, right, exactly. And, and we're talking about a league that had to institute uh, um, a no-sitting rule, right? Because right. so many players were resting without any injuries that they had mm-hmm. to create a rule so that these guys wouldn't sit on nationally televised games. Now, all of a sudden, you mad when a team sits you and you right. get paid? Like, right. And while, before we move on to basketball, I'm glad you brought up AD. What's your thoughts on AD's... Uh, Achilles injury. Listen, man, this is is this is what we got used to as Pelicans fans. Right. And the craziest part is, while we thought the monkey coming off of his back could turn him into some Tom Brady of basketball, ring at a young age, no pressure, just go out there and ball to the wall. Like it's having the opposite effect. Right. You know, he's missing more time. And like it's a non-contact Achilles injury, which to me, I'm used to being a torn Achilles, and here it's not torn. So you're kind of like, yo. What's the deal, bro? And LeBron's out there at 36, 
probably probably about to win the league MVP because he has to because he's right. doing it all by himself. Like in order for them to be a top three Western Conference seed, he's probably gonna have to win the MVP if if AD misses significant time. AD is turning into the monkey on LeBron's back. Right, right, and it's oh, like, was it worth it for the for the one ring you got? I mean, right. I probably so. If he gets the one ring plus this MVP, may, maybe so. But I mean, there this was supposed to be a relationship that was working towards AD carrying him, and now we're like. Is he physically just deteriorated or, or going to physically deteriorate over time, I should say? Like you said, as Pelican fans, we're all too familiar with this this narrative. But I will say LeBron may win the MVP, but does it hurt his his uh, championship aspirations this year? Because as you mentioned, he's going to have to carry the burden of AD being out. And typically he knows how to, you know, pick and choose his spots in the regular season so he's fresh in the postseason. And he won't be able to do that if he wants to stay as a top two or three seed in, in the Western Conference. So and it's crazy because Montrezl Harrell was already performing, you know, at the same level as AD, exactly. right? So, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, quickly before we go to our winners and losers, I want to talk about the NFL. Um, Texans staying in off, you know, staying in the news in, in terms of all season. They released JJ Watt um, at his request. No, no argument from from the organization. Just released the man. Um, and there's been talks about where he might land. He might go join his brothers, his two brothers in Pittsburgh. He's looking at Cleveland. Uh, Tampa Bay has been thrown out there. Green Bay. He's from Wisconsin. What's your thoughts on the best landing spot for J.J. Watt? I mean, you know, I'm always looking for the Saints to make a move, but I heard that he was not. <laughs> they, there were 12 teams. The Saints was not on the list. I think that Browns move will be scary, though. Um, Miles you know, because Yeah, because I feel like, you know, realistically, I don't think J.J. Watt has that much left in the tank, and he's not going to perform at that high of a level. Uh, but if you if you uh, put him with what they already have there with uh, Miles Garrett um, and I believe uh, Olivier Vernon, I think at that point as a situational pass rusher, you are now you, you potentially putting them over the top. Yeah. And you know, they, they, a lot of people look at him as being one of the, the you know, best defensive leaders in the NFL right now. So does, how does he add to that culture um, as a leader as well? And, and I said Vernon, but I think his contract might actually be up, which would, would probably be what's creating the salary cap space for them to make that move. And then on the flip side, on the offensive side for the Texans, you got Deshaun Watson. Texans saying they're not trading him. He, he still wants out. And there was a rumor reported that the Panthers are willing to do whatever it takes to get him, including three first-round draft picks, Christian McCaffrey, and possibly Teddy Bridgewater as the bridge quarterback. What's your thoughts on this trade? Do you think it's feasible? And if it happens, who do you think is the better to do? See, I think this 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 potential trade is kind of where the danger comes with like this first time NFL coach who basically realizes like I might be a good coach, but if I don't have the star players, it really doesn't matter. And if I don't get a star player within this first coaching contract of mine, it could all be over for me and I may never become an NFL head coach again. And so, you know, you, you you link yourself with Teddy Bridgewater. And I think you quickly realize like, would they go five and 11? I believe it was. Yeah, four, and, yeah, like and Christian McCaffrey missed most of the season. So right. you still didn't even give Teddy Bridgewater um, a real chance, a real chance. And they still have a lot to be desired at wide receiver, even with DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Right. So that offense wasn't, at its peak and you're not even give Teddy Bridgewater a chance to come back in and, and run with the, the full offense. And I think, like I said, a lot of it has to do with, he feels like he needs to make a splash doing all that for Deshaun Watson. 
I don't know. I look at the roster and then start to think, well, how much better is that roster going to be than the one he's leaving behind in Houston by the time you make that move? Right. Um, get rid of Christian McCaffrey, who the year before Teddy got there, before his injury, was probably almost 60% of the offense. So which type of situation does that put uh, Deshaun Watson in? I mean, Robbie Anderson's going to be his what? His Deshaun Hopkins now? Like, is that who's going to throw all his passes to? You still don't have a – I mean, I guess they can try for more in the draft. they got Curtis Samuel. But I just don't see that as a, a place where he can necessarily go flourish. Listen, there were some photos the other day that surfaced to Deshaun Watson down here in Miami with some Dolphins players. I think, you know, they got draft pieces. So I think it's it's already been said he wants he wants – Miami or New York. I, I don't see um, Carolina being the type of place for, for a star like himself. And I don't see that roster really being well-formed or sitting on enough draft capital to create what he's going to want to create. Yeah. I mean, to me, if I'm the Texans, I make that move in a heartbeat. Like you look at, you had Deshaun Watson this year and you went, I think it was four and 12 or five and 11, something like that. Um, and you don't have first round draft capital because you gave that away for Laramie Tunstall. So like as the roster you have now, I don't think it's good enough to win if you're Houston. So I, I think for three first round draft picks and McCaffrey, you can build around that. Uh, for from a Carolina Panthers perspective, if I'm Matt Rule, I'm scared of that move. Because as you said, you still got holes offensively and defensively. And if you give away all your first round draft pick capital and you give away Christian McCaffrey, and then you don't win this year with Deshaun Watson, as an owner, I'm looking at you like – you're out of here, and I need a coach who can get it done. So if I'm the head coach, I'm very uh, leery of making that move because, uh, you know, it puts you in a win-now situation. And, and like you said, if you get fired in the first two years, you might not get another shot for, you know, for a while. So um, let's jump into our winners and losers right quick uh, before we go off with the interview with Sammy. Uh, I'll start off with my winners. First winner, uh, you know, tennis fans, specifically women's tennis fans. Tonight, semifinals, we got the number two, uh, number three seed, excuse me, Naomi Osaka against number 10 seed, Serena Williams. Serena's been the most dominant female tennis player. We called her one of our GOATs last week. Uh, she's going, if she wins this semifinal, she's going to the finals to, to try to win a record tie in 24 major championships in, in tennis. So she's got a lot on the line. Then you got Naomi Osaka who's the you know, hottest female tennis player in the game right now. She won two majors in 2018, and she won the U.S. Open earlier this year. So you're talking about somebody who is you know, looking to become the next Serena, uh, create her own name in Osaka. So that's an awesome matchup that I'm definitely going to be tuning into tonight. I can't wait for that one. My second winner is big game James Harden. Harden dropped 38 points last night in a 25-point comeback against the Phoenix Suns without – KD and Kyrie, surprise, surprise. Them dudes, you know, sitting on the bench more than us, man. But uh, James stepped up. That was part of the reason the Nets warned him. That's why he wanted to go to the Nets to be in, you know, big-time games. And he was put in a position where he could do what he did back in Houston. And that's, that's lead a team on his own and show he could carry the load when those dudes can't play. So uh, James Harden is my second winner. Rob, who you got? My, my first winner, uh, LaMelo Ball, man, the real ball brother, the new Mellow. 
he, you know, now they when they say mellow, they ain't talking about Carmelo no more. They're talking about <laughs> the mellow ball. And if they sell say ball, they talking about the ball in Charlotte. Damn sure they talking about Lonzo. <laughs> not Lonzo, not the one in New Orleans. So he is the new mellow, the new ball, whatever you want to call it. He's the one we should be talking about. He's an overwhelming negative 400 to win the NBA rookie of the oh, year uh, on betting websites, MGM's betting website. He's averaging 14.16 six rebounds, six assists per game. But the trick part is he was coming off the bench to start the season. Right. Uh, so only eight games ago, he came into the starting lineup. Since coming to the starting lineup, averaging 31 minutes a game, he's now going 21, 6.7 rebounds, 6.6 assists. He's, uh, you know, poised to be like a top 20 player in the NBA. He's um, leading their team in assists. Had a triple doubles uh, at one point in January. Dropped 34 the other night in the game two weeks ago. Uh, just well on his way. And remember the first episode, it seems like just a few weeks ago, we were talking about the NBA draft and, you know, Wiseman versus Edwards and whatnot. Uh, and, and Ball. And Ball has come out and, and set himself ahead of the group. Edwards had a nice little game the other night uh, going against the, the Lakers. I think it was last night. Uh, but nobody, nobody of that group is touching LaMelo Ball right now. So and you got to say hats off to 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 father ball at this point, uh, because he was right about one of them. You know, <laughs> it was starting to look like was, there was a group of fagazis. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the shoes was busted. You know, they had money being stolen from them. Lonzo was a bust. Jello couldn't make the NBA and they hung everything on the last brother, Mello. And as a young bro younger brother myself, I'd like to say, you know, that's always what happens. We inherit the talent and the, the mentality. We figure it all out. We come in last and we, we basically perfect the model. And that's what Mello has done. So, yeah, so. And Laval still repping triple Bs. <laughs> right. There's only one B he need to be repping. At <laughs> uh, my second winner, Julius Randle, baby. New York Knicks dropped 44 the other night. 44, 9, and 5. Uh, on the way to the Knicks' uh, third straight victory. We're, we're, we're the sixth seed right now. So, you know, hats off to the Knicks. He's averaging 23-11-6. Um, and what I found interesting, uh, fellow Kentucky alum AD, right? Like I saw a graphic the other night where his numbers were put next to AD's numbers, and he's, he's ahead of him, I think, in almost every statistical category on the season. And so, like we said, AD leaving a lot to, to be desired this year, uh, playing through some injuries, but Julius Randle is is putting the New York Knickerbocker organization on his back, you know, and they also just brought in Derrick Rose. So I'm excited to see what these dudes can do with Tibbs uh, down the home stretch. So that's my second winner. All right, let's jump into the losers. I'm going to start off. My first loser, not necessarily a loser, more of a, a loss for the NFL community, is Vincent Jackson, a 12-year veteran, played with the San Diego Chargers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was found dead in a hotel uh, earlier this week. And it's sad because he was only 38 years old, only about four, four years removed, four or five years removed from his his NFL career. Uh, a guy, you know, married with a family of four, four kids, uh, did a lot of work in the community, st still lived in Tampa Bay, uh, won a salute to service award in 2016 in his final year in the NFL. But uh, the last month of his life, he was living out of a hotel. Um filed a missing persons claim on him last week and they, they located him in a hotel and, and a couple of days later he you know was found dead with no apparent trauma uh they're doing some investigation but uh, the sheriff uh just came out and said that it, it it looks as if it was um he was suffering from um alcoholism and and his family has also noted that he suffered from multiple concussions so still more to be determined in that but it was sad to see a um you know a young man really 
uh, did at such an early age and, and did so much with his platform to give back. So uh, sorry to see RIP Vincent Jackson. Uh, my second loser uh, is, is a true loser, and that's TB12 Tom Brady, looking like a 18-year-old freshman on a first spring break, drunk as a skunk, man, throwing a Super Bowl trophy from one boat to another. Anything could have happened. Uh, Listen, as somebody who hasn't really liked Tom Brady, that was this is probably my favorite Tom Brady moment of his entire <laughs> career. Man, stumbling like he was walking down Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras. Had to head. Had to save that man from embarrassment. I was, that was embarrassing. A man who don't eat tomatoes because of how they impact his body, but he drunk as a skunk out there. Avocado tequila is what he said he was drinking, and I think I might need to go find me some avocado tequila so I can keep this uh, these these boyish good looks while still enjoying a drink every now and then. Yeah, if you want to pass out drunk, that's maybe the right drink. Uh, go ahead, Rob. What you got? All right, my first loser is none other than your boy. Rafael Nadal up 2-0 in the semis at the Aussie Open, blew three straight sets, and he ruined his chance at catching Roger Federer, uh, whose record still stands for consecutive sets won at Masters tournaments at 35. So he was one shy of catching Fed. So basically, if he'd have won this tournament, and I think he would have faced the Joker probably in the finals, and he would have just needed to win the first set there. He'd have broke that record. In addition, he's currently tied with Federer for the men's record of um, of of master championships as it is at 20. And so if he had won the Aussie Open, um, he would have passed Federer in that regard. And, you know, he was up two sets to zero. And then I believe, I believe it was 6-5 in the third set. And then just basically a collapse from there to this 22-year-old. Um, so Rafi Nadal is my first loser. My second loser, Isaiah Wilson. Listen, a few weeks back around New Year, I was on my my, my, my Twitter feed, and I'm sorry, my Instagram feed, and I saw there's all these club promoters and these club promoters because of COVID with the club shut down have really turned into yacht pr promoters and they essentially throw parties on the water. A lot of these parties on the water, they bring a lot of young ladies. They bring, you know, a lot of 1942 Don Julio, uh, the Casa Cas Azul, uh, tequila, all the expensive stuff and cash and diamond jewelry. And I'm seeing a guy with some dreadlocks, a lot of uh, jewelry and money everywhere and a lot of naked women. And I'm like, what is what is this? It was, I think it was only in date. Go follow only in date on on uh, on Instagram. And, and then I start to see the guy's size and I'm like, he looks like a guy from the NFL, but I can't place him. I finally am able to place him. It's Isaiah Wilson to tackle uh, first round draft pick for the Tennessee Titans. Wilson, he was put on the reserve uh, non-injury list. Um, and according to the Titans, they haven't spoken to him since. Basically, they just threw with him. They done with him. He was the 29th overall pick. Um, but they basically said he needs to decide if he really wants to play football or not. He was on the COVID reserve list twice, uh, had a couple run-ins with the law, included a, a, a DUI that he was arrested for. And with all this going on and, and put on the non-football list, injury list he saw fit to come to miami and just party and take this as an opportunity to uh instead of getting his life together let it spiral further out of control and so at this point only one year in like this dude's entire career looks like it's on the line and from judging from the diamonds that he was wearing um i hope all of that was covered by his uh signing bonus because he may be in a situation where he's about to get cut in the next three years of that contract about to be voided out. So Isaiah Wilson, 
bro, get your life together. You're my second loser. Damn, that man said he an all pro party player. <laughs> right. And then the funny thing is just reading the article, it says that they felt like they vetted him really well and they were just kind of surprised and disappointed like that this is what they got. But I, I don't think you ever really know which I, I don't know what I would have become, you know, in my early 20s if somebody just dropped millions of dollars in my hands. Right. And, and and this is this is the, the risk. Yeah, definitely. So uh, that's all we got. We're going to head out here, let y'all listen to the interview before we go. Uh, Rob, any movie recommendations? Uh, there's a Kenny Anderson movie out there that I watched on Amazon about his life story. I can't even remember his nickname, but it's it's titled after his nickname, just kind of details, uh, you know, his growing up in, in you know, the uh, left rack projects in, in, I believe it's in Queens, and then uh, going to Georgia Tech and then into the NBA. And he's he's a really interesting character, and I don't say that in a good way. So it's, it's just a, an interesting watch I, I'd recommend. Awesome. I saw, uh, we both saw... Um, Judas and the Black Messiah, HBO Max. Love that. Love Uh, that. Very, very uh, mentally draining and exhausting. Mm -hmm. So, like, be be in the right, you know, state of mind to watch it. It's it's, it's a good watch, but it's, it's, you know, it it leaves you kind of frustrated. But speaking of mentally draining and exhausting, but not worth the watch, uh, I finished Your Honor and I was totally disappointed. (laughs) I'm, I keep saying I'm gonna check it out, but I, I gotta get Showtime. Anybody yeah, pulled up the courthouse in New Orleans. It's a place that I spent a lot of time, so it was it was something I just had to check out. But you know, I wasn't the biggest fan. We got a special guest for y'all here tonight on the Blitz with Robin Chris. We want to welcome Mr. Sammy Spiner. Spinner, please, please correct me, Sammy. Uh, he's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's a current NFL agent and VP of Neo Star Sports and Entertainment. Uh, please welcome Sammy to the to the pod. Sammy, what's up? Hey, what's going on, guys? Again, thank you guys for having me. Truly appreciate it. Thanks, man, for being here. We appreciate you on the pod. Rob, what's going on? Nothing much. You know, I'm just out here in Miami another day, another dollar. Sammy's actually right down the street. We just we figured that out. So so we're yep. both enjoying the beautiful views while the rest of the world is experiencing this this cold streak. You know, we're looking at water, sun, and 80 mm-hmm. temperature. I'm just saying that's the, uh, you know. Uh, listen, Florida ad right there. Listen, I'm hey. in the fro- frozen tundra of New Orleans. It's 28 degrees, and, and you swear it was negative 20 down here, man. We freezing our asses off. <laughs> hey, Rob, we're not trying to rub it in. We're just very blessed right now. Right. Praying for everyone else, but we're very blessed right now. Exactly, exactly. I have some coworkers from Texas, man. I've heard some some pretty horrible uh, stories about what's going on there. So mm-hmm. definitely prayers. In New Orleans, I know that some of y'all lost uh, electricity last night too. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm praying for for this electricity bill not to be too high, but uh, <laughs> I got that heat running all night. Um, but let's jump into it, uh, Sammy. First, tell us a little bit about about you know your career, how you became an NFL agent, and a little bit about NeoStar. Yeah, of course. Um, so honestly, I got into this is just by the blessing of God, right? I, there's no other rhyme or reason for it. I grew up in Pittsburgh, um, very humble beginnings. You know, growing up, my parents both worked two jobs. I didn't grow up rich like a lot of these other agents did. Um, didn't have the financial means to really get into an industry like this. I went to college at Washington and Jefferson University, or Washington Jefferson College, just outside of Pittsburgh. And uh, really, when I graduated, I didn't know what to do. I, I really didn't. I-, I was thinking about law school. I wasn't really sure. And uh, one day, it was the first time I could truly remember getting on my knees and praying, right? And I said, God, just give me a sign. That's the next morning I woke up driving to go visit my parents. Took this road thousands of times, right? I see this bright red building I've never seen before. And it says Fina Law Firm on it. 
So I was like, oh man, all right, this is my sign, I guess. And I had been contemplating law school back and forth. So um, I ended up the next morning applying to take my LSAT, took my LSAT, took the next you know leap of faith and um, applied to law school. And to be honest with you, my intentions of, of law school were really to go be a criminal defense attorney. Rob, just like we were talking about before, I wanted to help people. And I knew a lot of people that I grew up with that were wrongfully in prison. And they were just in jail for, for the wrong reasons and for far too long. So my whole objective was, all right, let me get in here. Let me get out of school and go back and help my community. And, and that's really where my intention lied. Um, when I got to school, though, God had another plan for me, man. And it's, it's pretty crazy because I still, you know, teetered um, what exactly it was I wanted to do. And uh, while I was in law school, I, I didn't know anyone. When I moved to Miami, I went to St. Thomas University. And uh, so I just started the network. And one of the first groups that I came across was the Jason Taylor Foundation. And Jason's a retired Miami Dolphin player, Hall of Famer now. And uh, I just started volunteering to, to one, help out because I really enjoy giving back, but two, just to network in the community. And uh, they just so happened to share an office space with Neo Stars uh, football. So one day I went in and, you know, this was months and months and months of volunteer work. And I said, Hey, you know, are you guys looking to hire? And the guy that started our company is a gentleman named Ralph Stringer. And Ralph's been doing this for 35 years now. And he told me no. So I went in the next day, asked him again, told me no again. So I put together this whole proposal, right? And uh, Jason's executive director of the foundation helped me write it out and draw it out. And I'm offering to work for free, whatever you need, I got you, sort of thing. Went in, proposed it, still told me no again. So the next day, I just took all of my stuff from the foundation office, moved it into Neostar office, started answering phones before Ralph showed up. And Ralph walked in, he's like, what are you doing, man? I was like, hey, got ESPN on line two on hold for you, man. Just, I've been there ever since. Um, I've since grown into an equity partner and now running the all day-to-day -day stuff for us. Wow. That's crazy, man. That's uh, you always hear about different stories, but yeah, uh, to just like show up and, and that was a bold move. It was a bold move. I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but at the same time, like I always have this one mindset in the back of my mind, right? And it's, when you break things down to its simplest form, what's the worst it could be? So for me, I thought of it as what's the worst thing that could happen? I walk in, he tells me no and get out. I'm in the same spot I was literally an hour before. So why not just take the shot? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, congratulations on that, man. Uh, Appreciate can it. you talk a little bit about, you know, being an agent? What do your day-to-day -day duties look like? Uh, like, yeah. what's, what's a typical day look like in, in, in your life? Every single day is different, right? Um, you know, you have days where you're spending a lot of time, whether it's a new deal, a uh, new contract that's coming up, someone that's expiring, one you're looking to extend. Um, also, the draft process is a little different during that time of year. But really, every single day is different because, Everyone thinks of us as just, you know, the, the, this group of individuals that negotiate contracts. The reality is that's a small portion of what we do. Um, we're also, you know, marriage counselors. Um, <laughs> if someone has an issue, you know, someone needs a new place, a new apartment, a new house, finding those people to get the right professionals around them, um, really in any avenue that they do in life. Uh, just for an example, this past year, you know, I... Uh, helped one of our clients plan his proposal and actually set it all up so nice. we had a one-day turnaround for a proposal time and uh we're able to get it done 
And and so is part of doing all of that stuff is 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 part of that, you know, kind of the way you maintain a relationship with the client. I know, you know, sometimes they sign a contract for four or five years. You might not necessarily need to do something for them for the next four or five years. But is it imperative in order to to keep the client for that next contract that you maintain this this relationship over the course of that time? No, it is. And for me, it's not even about that. Right. It's about mm-hmm. going back to the core reason why I got into this. And that was mm-hmm. to make a difference and help. So for me, that's doing a lot more than just one contract every four years. And that's right. the only time we talk. Like to me, it becomes personal. So, mm. all right, let's form this genuine relationship. What other avenues can I help you in life? Mm. And, and then let's go ahead and explore these together. And do you guys uh, do like marketing, uh, you know, type deals within marketing contracts, yep. financial planning, any all that type of stuff as well? We don't do financial planning. We put professionals, mm-hmm. you know, we help our athletes select the proper professionals for them. Mm-hmm. Um, like even in that realm, we don't just use one group because gotcha. I don't ever want there to be some sort of conflict of interest in that realm. Um, everyone's, a, and again, this goes back to the whole, you know, the way some people perceive athletes or it becomes a number game. Mm-hmm. And now you're athlete number 400, right? For us, every single person is different and unique and they have different needs in that realm. So let's make sure we have somebody for you around you. But in, as far as marketing goes, we do handle all of that. So let, let's talk a little bit about um, players. Can you can you tell yeah. us um, some players that you represent um, and then tell us a little bit about, you know, some recruiting stories or how does that process work when you're trying to recruit athletes? Yeah, yeah. So right now around the league, we have uh, Bravion Roy. He's the starting defensive tackle for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Josh Hammond is over with the Jaguars. Uh, Dwayne Hendricks, Paul Butler. We have two guys coming out this year for the draft, Lamont Wade from Penn State and Ian Book from Notre Dame. Um, we also work with a lot of retired guys. Uh, Dan Marino is a longtime client. Still handle all of his off-the-field stuff. Uh, Jason Taylor, Dwight Stevenson, et cetera. Um, recruiting, though, it's, it's a different animal, right? And, and even going back to when you asked me the day-to-day, and I, I always tell people, if you're looking to get into this industry, be ready for the, the unknown, right? And I'll just... I remember I wrote this down in my notes one time and I'm on a flight and I was like looking at my schedule and it said, for anyone that ever asked you, do you want to be an agent? Share this schedule with them. And it was, it was a Friday morning. I woke up, had an event in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, got on a flight that night to Chicago had an event in Chicago, Saturday night, Sunday morning, woke up, flew to New Orleans actually had a meeting, a recruiting meeting in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, that landed in New Orleans, drove to Hattiesburg, back to New Orleans that night. The next morning, I had a 5.30 a.m. to L.A., flew to L.A., had a meeting the next day. That same evening, on Tuesday evening, I flew to Oakland to go meet with a client, spent Wednesday in, in Oakland with the client. Thursday morning, woke up. I had a lunch meeting in Vegas with Caesars Palace, so I flew to Vegas. <laughs> met with Caesars for lunch and took a red eye back to South Florida to Miami um, that and, Thursday night. And if you miss one meeting, the whole trip is a failure, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. At least in my eyes. Right. Right. So when I say every day is different, I truly mean it. I sound like one hell of a spring break. Yeah, I wish. So I watched the I watched the show like uh, one time. It was like a reality TV show. Followed some NFL agents, and it basically showed, I yep. guess, during like the conclusion or the back end of college football season. There's this, uh, I guess, courting process where you go to the mm-hmm. universities and they they set up meetings and you know show kids with the agents and their parents after games. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, it seemed to be from me watching it that there's a little bit of a, of a game that you have to play also with the colleges and universities to get on that schedule for, for the best players. And, and so I, right. I'd like if you could just talk a little bit about that. Like, what is that process like? How do you kind of even create, you know, the opportunities with mm-hmm. the school to meet the player? Right. It, I think, you know, we talked about Vu Church earlier, right? And our pastor, mm-hmm. Rich Wilgerson Jr., always says, play the long game, right? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't always be set up for the short-term success in life, play the long game. And I think it's the same thing applies here as an agent, right? And um, when I talk to schools and stuff, I always tell people, it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you. And getting that point across, right? That your network is really everything. So when it goes to these schools, um, it, it's just constantly networking, being there. When you show up at games, make sure you make a point to be intentional, go out of your way to not just talk with the athlete and athlete's family, but also the people inside the university and keep those relationships more so than just, hey, I'm going to call you once a year to get this meeting set up. Let me check on you in the holiday. Let me check on your family if they're going through something. Um, yeah, it's a lot of extra work, quote unquote. But uh, if, if you're doing the little things, I'm a big believer that it pays off in the long run. That's awesome, man. Like, do you, do you find yourself forming relationships and like, pulling for certain teams or for certain colleges that you ha- that you have better relationships with are you or as an agent is it just strictly you got to keep it you know relationships with players only and not get tied right. to any organizations you know what chris we're all human right so so mm-hmm. naturally you start to gravitate towards something especially you know during the recruiting process you form really close relationships with these athletes and their families um you know you can start recruiting someone really as a freshman in college and now, you know, fast forward four years, you're still recruiting and have that relationship. It's a four-year relationship. You're naturally going to want to root for them and their team. Um, right. It's just very easy to do so. So you do start to, to get a little bit of the, the fandom coming out, I guess. But uh, at the same time, you know that you're there rec- uh, recruiting, you're there for business, and that you're cheering for that particular person. Okay, so now you've moved through uh, the recruitment process. Tell us, you know, how you start to set the player up after the player plays his last bowl game in college. Mm-hmm. He's going to sign with you. Uh, what do you start to do at that point? Yeah, so once we uh, figure out who's going to sign with us and vice versa, um, we really start from, like, you know, start the process immediately. It's uh, figuring out where you're going to train. And, again, for, for individuals, for each athlete, we believe that's something individualized. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to have – my quarterback training with all these other defense alignment doing the same stuff every day. Right. I want, I want my quarterback to have something specific for him. So um, it's figuring out what that training looks like and what that plan looks like. To me, I believe there's three phases to it. Really. I think there's all-star prep. So if you're playing in the senior bowl, um, a lot of people jump the gun and they instantly start training for the combine. Well, you still have another football game to play in a week of practices that people are going to evaluate you on skill. Um, a lot of people don't agree with that, but I do something we've done for a long time. Um, after that, it's full combine phase mode, right? Getting ready for those workouts, getting ready for those meetings, getting ready for those drills. Then after the combine, you have another period where now you're okay. You're done with your combine. Are you going to participate in your pro day? If you are okay, let's carry that over. What drills you're going to do. As soon as that's over, it's full training camp mode. You're getting ready for football season. You're getting ready for year one. So it doesn't stop at the draft. It carries all the way through. 
Are you calling people and setting up the meetings for at the combine? You know, when you hear these stories about players being asked these crazy questions by different teams, or is it pretty universal that they just get interviewed by all 32? And then also, are you doing the same thing after? I remember when I worked for the Saints, I remember seeing Matt Forte come through the building, um, who obviously mm -hmm. got picked by the Bears. But I just remember right. thinking, like, that would have been a great, you know, marriage for the Saints. Um, and right. so do you do that sort of thing after the combine, start looking for teams that you think your player would be a good match with and setting up interviews? You do. Yeah, you do. Um, during the combine, not every player meets with all 32 teams, right? That's okay. just uh, something that people believe, but it, it mm -hmm. really isn't the case. There's times where, you know, somebody will go and a team just won't want to spend the time with you there for, for multiple reasons, right? They plan on bringing you in on an official visit. They plan on some other sort of communication or they're just not interested in that position and, and they know that you're not going to be there on the board. Um, so there's guys that may have nine meetings, you know, the entire time, uh, formal meetings. But for the most part, they're going to speak with somebody from every team just to gather information. Um, so, so from that standpoint – for me, I'm really there to be behind the scenes, one, from a support standpoint, and two, to meet with the teams that, A, they met with, one of our clients met with, or B, that they plan on meeting with at some point, and just laying that groundwork, right? Maybe giving a little bits of tid, uh, tidbits of information of, okay, what's happened since the season, what things are going on, but also things that they may not be highlighting in, in their meeting. So, Sammy, quick question. The mm -hmm. craziest combine question one of your clients have, has been asked by a coach craziest combine question man i gotta think of that one i, I really don't know <laughs> all right cool we'll save it to the, to the back end of the interview um yeah, yeah, chris yeah. did chris did the same thing to me last week caught, <laughs> caught me off guard with the question he, he loves to do that yeah, i don't, don't want to make something up chris i'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you man <laughs> You know, we just always hear about like, you know, what's your favorite animal, cat or dog? You know, you always hear these yeah, stories yeah. that players tell. Um, but, you know, we talked about your day-to-day -day duties, how you recruit athletes in a typical year. But 2020, right. coming in 2021, has been nothing but uh, crazy, you know, with the pandemic, uh, COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So in saying that, you know, we had a crazy football season, crazy college football season, a lot of opt-outs. Um, schools, you know, colleges couldn't do – have per, uh, recruits who signed this past, um, you know, signing day come and visit mm -hmm. at all unless they came on their own dime. So in this ever-changing climate, especially with the pandemic, how as an agent do you maneuver to to not only recruit athletes but also get them workouts with no combine this year, um, you know, get, get their, their faces out there and teams interested in them? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the recruiting portion. It's been very different, like you said, because – each family is a little different in that regard too. And, and I think one of the things that more agents need to remember is that outside of business, there's still always this human element, right? And even though you always want to get ahead and you want to be there, you want to do this little things, you also need to remember who you're putting at risk. And, um, you know, a lot of college athletes don't have, you know, or, or, or I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. A lot of college athletes live with elderly um parents or grandparents for that regard. So now if you have somebody that's a high risk and you're bringing something in as an extra risk, uh, I, I just think that's really selfish in, in that aspect. So just to be mindful of it, um, for us, you know, this year we, we, we did a little bit of recruiting. We didn't do a ton of it, honestly. Um, every year we have this thing where, you know, we make it a goal that we will never sign more than five athletes for a draft class. And it's just how we've always been. And, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the name Marvin Demoff at all. 
but uh, Marvin is who I've worked under and who I've learned from and my mentor and still my business partner today. And uh, that's just a rule I adopted from him as well. Is you never want to overextend yourself. So even in a typical year, we're not recruiting, you know, crazy number of athletes from that standpoint. This year in particular, did a lot of stuff via Zoom, FaceTime, text message, um, just trying to get, you know, different avenues to form a general, genuine relationship, even though it's tough to without that face-to-face interaction. And and just if I recall correctly, Marvin Demoff is, is featured in the Elway to Marino 30 for 30, right? Correct. Yeah, they did the entire draft through his uh, point of view. That that year, he actually had uh, Marino, Elway, and Eric Dickerson all in the first round. Later picked up uh, Jimbo Covert, who just got inducted to the Hall of Fame this past year. And so is he your partner at Neostar or just somebody you just kind of model your business practices at Neostar after? Both. Both. Okay. So Marvin okay. came on as a senior consultant for me. And, uh, you know, like rewinding back to when I started working with Ralph, you know, Ralph and Marvin had been working together Marino's entire career. So mm-hmm. Ralph had been doing all of Dan's off the field stuff and Marvin was doing all of Dan's on the field stuff. Okay. So naturally, the two of them worked together for 30 plus years. One day, um, Marino actually said, hey, I know you want to get into this a little bit more. Let me call Marvin for you. And he called Marvin, got me on the phone with Marvin, and he said, uh, you know, anytime you want to come to L.A., let me know. I said, cool, I'll see you tomorrow morning. I booked the next (laughs) flight out, flew out to L.A., spent a week out there with Marvin. And, uh, you know, that was several years ago. Now we've been working together ever since. Aggressive. I like it. I like it. Leave nothing to chance. So we we wanted to talk a lot about the league year. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I will say, I you know, with regard to there not being a combine this year. Um, right. Does that elevate your role in terms of um, how much the player needs you in this process right now? I would say yes, just from the standpoint of it makes things a lot longer. Right. And Typically, at least you have that end goal in sight where, hey, I'm training for this. It's something I've dreamed of. Now it's coming because we're almost at that point right now when it would be occurring, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're right around that time period. So now you're looking at the schedule and you're saying, wow, you know, I've put in all this work. I don't get to go out here and perform and and showcase that uh, and meet with all these teams all in the same place. So now i got to look forward to when my pro day is. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's there's schools right now where – their pro days are until March 31st. I think that's when Notre Dame's is actually. So now you take that time period and you push it back an entire month. It it just becomes mentally and emotionally draining. Right. Right. I mean, you're, you're just constantly doing the same thing over and over again. Obviously you're tweaking some stuff and you're trying to get better, but it gets to be old, especially when you're used to playing a game, right. You're used to playing Mm -hmm. football. Right. So it it does get tiring. Also it, it limits that exposure. Now with, you look at two of the major all-star games this year that canceled all of their in-person stuff between the NFLPA Bowl and the uh, East-West Shrine game. That took away a lot of opportunities. Thankfully, the uh, College Gridiron Showcase, Michael Riddleman and his staff stepped up in a big way, brought in a lot of the guys from that were going to play in either of those games and uh, were able to make it something you know successful. I think they had over 120 scouts show up, like 29 of the teams or something like that. Um, so that was able to at least supplement for uh, that, that void. But uh, even the senior bowl was different this year. You know, I was down in Mobile and typically people everywhere this year, everyone's kind of locked up because nobody wants to test positive. And has there been any changes with pro days, like with Notre Dame's pro day, 
can all agents for for the players attend? Can all the, yeah. the NFL coaches attend? Are there any limits on that? Yeah, every school is a little different, um, and that's every year. And, you know, like a school like the University of Pittsburgh, for example, traditionally they don't let agents in for whatever reason, even in a normal year. Um, I've never understood that. I don't agree with it at all, but it's just the case. Um, I know Penn State this year is uh, saying that they're not going to allow agents in either. So it, it depends on a school-to-school basis. But the NFL put out a memo that each team is going to be allowed to send only uh, a maximum of three individuals per team to attend each pro day. So um, that's going to be a little different. There's a lot of teams that already have been cutting back in that regard. For example, the Rams. The Rams have been cutting back on, on their personnel and coaches and scouts that have been traveling even prior to COVID, even last year at the Combine. So I highly doubt they're going to send a lot of people out to, to their pro days either. Yeah, I mean, I guess they keep trading away all those first-round picks. <laughs> Maybe they don't feel like they, they need anybody there. <laughs> uh, let's get into the league year. You know, we got franchise transition tags coming up. We got the, you know – uh, players working out. You got the new coaches. Seven new coaches were hired. What do you feel yeah. like is the most challenging aspect for for players and teams uh, this mm-hmm. offseason coming into you know next the regular season cycle? Honestly, I look at that the, the new coaches coming in, the new staffs. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting for them, just like last year, right? Because last year a lot of or virtually all of the uh, offseason in person workouts were canceled because of COVID, so everything became virtual. And as a new coach, and you're trying to implement a culture and a system um, and really gain not even just a respect, but also share your vision with your with your athletes, it's tough to do virtually, right? And you're not getting those reps both physically and mentally. You're getting a lot of it virtually from the comfort of their home. Then you're also relying on everybody to not only buy in, but be paying attention. And that's hard to – it's really hard to tell what distractions are going on when you're sitting at your computer screen, you know, 400 miles away from, from your home city, from your team city. So I think with the new coaching staff, it's going to be really, really interesting. I thought um, last year, if we go back, I thought Coach Matt Rule did a great job of it, right, in Carolina. seemed like he was really able to keep his um, players engaged, really have everyone buy into the system. And you saw it from a defensive standpoint this year. Um, curious to see what they do offensively next year. But I, I think you really got to see it in – um, it was interesting even how he approached the draft with an all-defensive draft class. So uh, you could really tell where his vision was even prior to going into these offseason meetings. Listen, I had I, had to, I was going to save this question for later, Sam, but, but you transitioned it, so I'm going to just roll with it. <laughs> you brought up Carolina. You brought up Matt Rule. There's, there's you know, rumors and stuff out there that Carolina is willing to give up three first-round draft picks, Christian McCaffrey, Teddy Bridgewater, to get Deshaun Watson. So – as an agent, I just want your opinion on: Is this a realistic deal that can happen? And two, what are your what are your thoughts on on this the 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 possibility of it actually occurring and, and going through? Yeah, honestly, I couldn't tell you the possibility. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you because I don't know where their mindsets at. Um, I haven't had any of those conversations um, with with any of the parties involved, so I really couldn't tell you. But the way I look at it from an agent standpoint, and if I'm representing Deshaun, is that, uh, you know, Deshaun's one of those generational talent type of players, right? Where, to me, he's a top five quarterback in the league. So when you look at Deshaun, um, you start to say, all right, what can I really get for him to put him in the best position to win? Because that's really where he needs to be now. 
not even just from a winning standpoint, but also a team that's going to invest and believe in him and value his opinion more. Um, so I couldn't tell you the probability of it, and I don't know how realistic it will be because I don't know about giving up a player like Christian McCaffrey as well. Mm-hmm. It's a tough call. But, again, if you don't have that quarterback position, it's really, really, really tough to win in this league. And I think if uh, of all years to look at, you know, just this year as a whole – and you look at the playoff picture and how it boiled down to those quarterbacks for the last four that were standing, um, it's really tough to argue with that. So my follow-up on that is, is we're just we're seeing a lot with uh, player movement and, you know, players advocating for their movement in the NFL now that we hadn't seen in prior years. You got J.J. Watt, who just got released. He releases a statement saying that that was all based on his own request because he wants to go somewhere else. I mean, potentially leaves money on the table, but he wants to win. You've got the situation in Seattle, the situation in Philadelphia, and and like Chris pointed out, the situation in Houston. As an agent, uh, what role do you play in – you know, that whole scenario? Do you basically listen to the player? And, and if he says, I want out, you, you go to the team and ask for it. He says he wants to trade, you start pushing it. Or is a lot of that the player and then you just facilitate, you know, any contract signing or contract yeah. extension that comes after the fact? Yeah, I think it, it's first and foremost is like making sure you're doing everything for the right reasons, right? So not just jumping the gun because somebody's unhappy because you're going to have somebody unhappy every day. Um, but it's also just weighing out all those options of what it would look like. After that, you start to have, you know, if it's still going to look in that direction, you start to have those preliminary talks, quote unquote, off the record, right? Mm-hmm. To see what that would look like. For me, I'm a big believer in um, doing what's best for your client at all times. And you look at the, the just the landscape of it, right? The player does have a lot of control, especially when you're one of these franchise type players, like using Deshaun Watson as an example, right? Because if Deshaun sits, what are you doing as a team? Um, it's really hard to sit there and say, hey, I didn't really get anything for him, for him to walk away. Um, at the same time, you know, I look at it from the standpoint of the careers of these athletes are very, very short in the grand scheme of things, right? So when you look at the long-term picture, you know, a 13-year career is exceptional. Um, if you look at a typical nine-to-five, a 13 career is very, very short. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're retiring in your, your mid to late thirties, uh, I, I think you need to expunge every opportunity to reach whatever goals you're going to have because you only live once and you only play once. So if your goal is to win a championship and you're already set financially, then you need to position yourself to win that championship because you're not going to be able to come back when you're 45, 50 and have another run on it. It's interesting you say that too to me because like when Deshaun Watson signed the deal, I was thinking like, mm-hmm. why is he staying in Houston? But you know, I, I do kind of get that idea of like just take the financial stability first, give the team the opportunity to make it right, and if they didn't make, if they don't make it right, in this case, I guess he feels like they didn't. Well, then you you, you try to move. And I think you see it from both aspects, right? Because you saw right. the Rams and the Eagles investing in golf and wins mm-hmm. respectively, and two years in, they're like, you know what, we kind of not feeling this move so right he's right. kind of pivot as well so uh sammy do you see we talked a lot about quarterbacks um do you see other positions having similar leverage with, with this this age of player empowerment or do you think it's kind of specific uh to quarterbacks given just the, the importance of the the role i think the quarterback's the natural starting point because that's that's your leader right um the leader of your team the leader of your franchise but also the face of your franchise in most cases 
uh, your quarterback's going to be the person that draws the crowd, but also is taking the most uh, heat via publicly and internally. Um, so I just think that's the natural progression. But no, I mean, every case is different. I think it depends on each individual situation because you look at, all right, we talk about Carolina. I think a person like Christian McCaffrey holds a lot of power as well because he's the guy on that team right now. So right. It, it's interesting. I, I don't know. You know, yeah. I think it's a case-by-case basis. And on that subject, the case-by-case basis, you got a guy like Dak Prescott. And so we're mm-hmm. talking about the league year, you know, transition tags and um, things of that nature. Um, what what are your thoughts or what would your thoughts be if you were to have a client um, where a, a team is is kind of flirting with the, with the long-term commitment, uh, but then hitting them with the franchise tag? Um, I, I always wonder what what agents' thoughts are on, you know, sitting out versus playing under tags and, you know, the, the yeah. threat of potential injury. Is that something that you weigh in heavily on or, or let the player make the choice? I think you always weigh the, the, the potential of injury, right, because it can happen literally at any moment. Um, where one wrong step can end your entire career. So you want to make sure that you're financially uh, situated for that move. Um, I know you're going to hate this answer because I keep repeating it, but really it's a, it's a case-by-case situation. Um, what, what, what the team is, what you're looking for, what your client's looking for. And, but at the end of the day, you want to make sure that they're always set. Cool. Well, look, we got a few more questions and we're going to get you out of here. I know you got a lot of things to get to. Uh, yep. One question we have is, what's your favorite part about being a sports agent? Honestly, it's being able to make that difference and see that transition, right? And there's no better feeling in the world whenever you get to see somebody and be a part of them capturing their dream. And to me, I mean, that's one of the biggest things. And again, going back, that's really why I got into it is to make that difference some way, shape, or form. So when you get to see somebody change not only their lives, but the life of their family, there's no better feeling in the world. Yeah, I mean, my favorite part about the draft, the NFL draft, is not necessarily those guys mm-hmm. who are in the green room, but it's the guys, uh, you know, I think back to Tyran Matthew, LSU yeah. alum, Rob going to laugh at me. But, you cool. know, like being at a restaurant with his family and getting drafted and them showing everybody jumping on top of him. And so I'm sure as an agent, you've been able to experience some of those, like, biggest moments for people in their, not only their lives, but, like, their family's lives and just, you know, the excitement that's around that. Definitely, definitely. Those, those life-changing phone calls, right? Yeah, that, definitely. You have your generational wealth, generational yeah. success. Yeah, I was going to say, even, I mean, in free agency, potentially, like after a contract expires, after a rookie deal right. expires, you got guys whose yeah. lives are changing with the stroke of a pen. Do, do you guys right. sign a lot of uh, free agents or, or work with a lot of free agents, or is it typically you work with a guy out of the draft and then you just keep him for his entire career? Both. Okay. Really both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, depends on the individual for us we're very individually based right mm-hmm. so like, like i said before we don't sign a lot of clients it's just something we've never really done we're not going to have 100 guys at one time and right. even with the success that marvin's had and you look at what marvin's done alone and marvin has 13 to 15 athletes in the hall of fame right now just him so when you look at like just the success rate of that and the model that he's used and the respect that he has around the league um I would be stupid not to follow that, honestly. And and so just just following what he's done really has been my goal. Definitely. Uh, what what um, advice would you have for um, a, perspe- a prospective agent, a, a, you know, yeah. you know, a graduate that wants to break into the business? What kind of advice would you have for them? Be ready for anything, but also don't get discouraged. Right. It's going to be tough. It's going to be very, very, very difficult to break in. 
I know, um, especially if you don't have the financial means, it, it's hard for people to trust you. Like for me, I did a very uh, out of the box, sort of, so to speak, type of uh, approach to it. And I just went for it. But um, a lot of people aren't comfortable doing that either. Right. So you, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think 2020, 2021 taught us anything. It's thriving in a world of uncertainty, right? Because if you don't do that, you're going to get left behind. So I think there's, to me, the number one thing that you always need to remember in this industry is your reputation is everything. Um, and, and that's any industry, but more so in this industry because it's a small world. So to me, there's three key points to that reputation aspect, and that's being reliable, being available, and being accountable. And making sure that you possess those traits before you attempt to dive in. Cool. Love it. Yeah. Rob, you got anything else? No, just I guess the, the last question we had was, and I don't know if we, we asked this already, but your your uh, craziest recruitment story. I mean, it might be the story you just told us about the seven cities you traveled in <laughs> in five days. I'm sure there's a lot of recruitment going on on that, on that trip. Yeah, no, there was. There was. But um, honestly, I would say I was recruiting a player out of Florida State, and he ended up being a first-round draft pick. And, um, you know, Tallahassee is about a seven-hour drive from Miami, give or take. Mm -hmm. So uh, this one time, uh, myself and, and another person that works in my agency, we took the drive up. It was an 8 p.m. game. We got there around noonish. I uh, went to the team hotel, met with the family and everything. Went to the game. By the time we met with the family afterwards, um, it was, you know, probably 12.30 at night by the time the 8 o'clock game ends. They get out of the locker room, all that stuff. Uh, mind you, we spent the night, I'm sorry, we didn't drive up at noon. We spent the night the night before, but that was right after the hurricane hit. And they mm. had all, all of the um, uh, hotels were full of people coming over to the Tallahassee area. So mm. I couldn't find a hotel room. Found one. It was a motel. Walk in, there's blood all over my sheets. What? And they didn't have any <laughs> other rooms, any other beds. All of, the Air, all of the Airbnbs were sold out. Every other hotel within a 40-mile radius was sold out, and they had one room available, and that was the room. They had no more sheets. I asked everything. So I'm sleeping in a hoodie, jeans, everything, because there's blood next to me on the bed. and just had to make it work. Um, and then, uh, my, they don't my teach you about that in law school. They don't teach you about that in law school. <laughs> my, my business partner slept on the windowsill. Didn't even <laughs> sleep on the bed or floor. Slept on the windowsill. What? So anyway, fast forward, we went to, to the night game get out of there like 12 30 ish and uh drive back to miami that same night because we had to be at the dolphins game for a one o'clock kickoff so we drove through the night got to the stadium around by the time you stop for gas and everything we got to the stadium around 10 o'clock in the morning 9 30 in the morning took a 30 minute nap in the car we're on the field by 10 30 um wow. for pre-game warm-ups so, wow. did you get the player <laughs> did not at all, um, that did not. He, he ended up. He ended up signing with someone else. Got drafted in the first round, and you know, still rooting for him to the you know to this day because I remember a lot of those trips out to Tallahassee. But I'm a huge FSU fan, so I'm gonna ask you who that was off the pot. <laughs> all, right, all right, and uh, I got a final question. You know, a very serious question. But uh, you know, you being a Miami resident, an agent in the world of athletes, me and Rob, you know, we're, we're big sports fans. Mm -hmm. Is the show Ballers a realistic <laughs> depiction of what would be an agent, you know, financial advisor in a world of athletes like? Very dramatized. Very dramatized. 
right. All right. Cool. Man, well, we'll end it there, Sam. We really appreciate the time. Um, thanks again. Like, you know, I, I know you're busy, so yeah. it was awesome to, to get your perspective on being an agent and just kind of the, the world of the NFL and right. being in that, that, that world, that culture. So appreciate it. No, I appreciate you both, honestly. Thank you. Thanks, man. Have thanks a, a lot. Stay appreciate warm. God, God bless you both. Be, <laughs> be paid, for real. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here. Hope y'all enjoyed the interview, and we'll catch y'all next week. Thanks to Sammy Spina for coming out. Definitely. Thanks, man.